<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. It is a gorgeous day for another edition of Take Two. We are trapped inside, but for good reason, <laughs> talking about issues that matter to you and really to everyone because we're humans alive on the same earth. Greg Hughes is gracing us with his presence. Sure. Grace, it's not Grace. I'm happy to be here. Well, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Mara, uh, I almost called you Mara Exoro. Which, <laughs> That's what that would I'm be a cool. Yeah, Mara, Mara Carabello of the Exoro group is here. And uh, she has better attendance than you, but it is what it is. I We're know. glad you're I, you here. You know what? I'm, yeah, I got to get back. Like, I have to. I used to have it on my ca- calendar that just automatically yeah. populated. You and mean, then, yeah, every Friday afternoon? To, like, I'm putting it in years. manually now. I don't understand why. I don't wow. know what happened. Wow, I gotta we can learn help some you. calendars can be confusing. They I thought I had tricky. it down, but maybe then it, afterwards it, together we it can support me you. somewhere down the road, yeah. and now I got a technology. Well, yeah. we have easy. so many new political bombs that are going off oh. this week. There's oh, always something. We? Yes. So this already feels like it's a year old, but it's not. Speaker of the House McCarthy uh, voted out this week. Uh, Republicans are in a bit of a hot mess right now. They've got their clock ticking on. The budget they've got to figure out. They had a 45-day clock that keeps getting smaller and smaller, and now they don't have anyone who's in charge. And uh, let's just go over this in case you didn't pay attention. It was a 216 to 210 vote. Eight Republicans and all Democrats voted to oust. The interesting thing to me is that Democrats could have just voted present and left it alone and said, let's get the business of the country done too. But they obviously want to stick it to the man, the man being Republicans right now, and say, well, you guys are a hot mess and can't figure yourselves out. And they can't. So here we are. Mara, your deep thoughts on where we're at here in the U.S. I don't US know. There's House. just so much. It's a mess. It's a mess for everybody. I did think that that we would have a few Democrats that voted present, but they articulated afterwards that McCarthy, they did a bipartisan deal and right away he blamed the shutdown on him. Like they were really annoyed that he didn't seem to be playing it out. So they chose the political path. I think what's apparent and disheartening is that nobody is choosing the statesman role. Like, no one is saying, hey, listen, what's the higher good here? Yeah, where's the grown-up in the room? None. There's none, and it's and, and so this catastrophic action happens, and how do we respond? More petty politics. Like, we didn't even last 10 minutes in this extraordinary action where maybe you would think that because they let the bomb go off, we would have a moment of silence. Nope. We started petty politics again from kicking people out to suggesting people who aren't even in the body Donald Trump take take the seat and he could do it legally but I'm just saying it's that's not and none of that is serious I was just that's the word I'm I'm thinking unserious these are unserious people I've I've heard this said a long for a long time we throw all the bums out like just start all brand new we know like fundamentally I fundamentally including our own delegation want to just replace everyone if you were on the clock when in the first time in American history, a speaker was removed because a majority caucus who by math has the ability to make those decisions and particularly difficult ones, and you fail to do it, if you can't get 221 Republicans of the House in the room and say, we're going to control the destiny of what happens next because 
America sent us in a, in a, a majority, albeit a slim majority, you're still the majority. And when you have to go, whether you're McCarthy on a budget deal to the Democrats or whether it's on every single Democrat and eight Republicans to remove the, the speaker, your majority has utterly failed in, a, in a, an embarrassing way. And I'm calling out every single member of the, of the so Republicans, how would Utah, Republicans in Congress, every one of them. What would Utah's um, congressional leaders do different in your book? They all voted um, in favor of keeping McCarthy there. We only have three instead of four right now with Chris Stewart out. Should they have worked harder to convince the Matt Gates of the world to knock it off or no. what do they do? So, so this is all I, all I know about caucuses and majority and minority caucuses in the legislative body is this. You have to get in front of each other, and you have to speak with one with, with one another, and you have to hammer out differences. But you got to go, and the only thing you're doing is finding enough common ground to get to the math. You need 218 right now. You need 217 because we're missing two a Republican and Democrat. Mm-hmm. There's 433 there. That's the job. That is the job. If you're talking through tweets, if you're talking through the media, if you're out there, you know, with bravado and blaming everybody else, you can't, you show me someone in Congress right now who thinks this whole thing's their fault. You'll never find one person. Not one person thinks it's their fault. And that's the problem because they should have physically got into that room and made that happen. And because they're the majority and they're not worthy to be the majority. And if they can't make those decisions now, if, if Jim Jordan gets elected, I, I like Jim Jordan. I, he fought that to, to not see McCarthy be removed, so hopefully he gets some bona fides uh, from moderates. You know, this is what I want to tell conservatives in the House. You understand there are there are swing district members of Congress where their districts voted for Biden. And if the guy's not conservative enough for you, do you think the more conservative guy is going to be more attractive to those swing district House Republicans? Is that what is that how you're getting the math to a different number and a different speaker? Maybe they do. I, I, I would love Jim personally, Jim Jordan, to be the speaker, but I will say watching that process and watching them not physically be in that room and lock the door, you sequester juries till you get to a, a unanimous decision. You can't tell me that these people can't get in there and hammer this out till they get something right. And then you got to go to the minority party and, and get what you get. Well, you just hand it over the, the, the control. That's the, that is the math of a legislative body. Forget party. If you are in the majority... Get the work done. Get your math there. Now, not on every vote. I say that, but then I catch myself because not every vote is like this vote. You do want to go across the aisle. You do want you do want everyone to vote collectively. And I think in the Utah House, we've done that a lot. But when you get to moments like this one and you're in the majority, this is where you've got to get your numbers from within that caucus or don't have a majority. Yeah, I mean it is interesting. And I'm not I'm I'm not calling balls and strikes for either party. They're both indicted. There, yeah. There is no winner here. But it is interesting to Greg's point, which I agree with how majorities win. Pelosi had a similar incident, but they were, they were able to cobble things together barely. Yeah. So I do think it doesn't... She was vote. a better mob boss. It was like her well, way or the highway, and people knew she was in charge. It, it's what Greg said. It's a matter of how you're working within your own people, not, not yeah. across the aisle. Now, the big question becomes... For the first time ever, we see this vacated seat. Now, do we have a different way of governing? Because what's interesting, Greg, is the big indictment, the big horrible thing that he did was work across those party parties. Yeah. Like, that's not that big of a deal because what was at risk here was the government shutdown. Like, it, it, I look, agree with I, you. There are some issues you can't work across the party lines. But keeping the government open, it does not but seem. This is what kills me. If working with the Democrats, because you could not secure the majority of your 
majority members in the House to get your votes. So you went over to the Democrats to get a budget done or to delay 45 days. How do the people that are so offended by that unpardonable sin go over and lean on every single Democrat in the House of Representatives to get their votes to remove him? So how is working with the Democrats so terrible on a budget, but then you need every single Democrat to vote with you to remove the Speaker of the House? It is, it's just not serious. It's, yes, it's, it's just, on both sides. I, I, I find it to not be what a legislative body and the hard work that you would see in a legislative body, you that you're not idea, seeing any no semblance plan to back of it. it up, it seems. And that's where the problem was. They're like, ooh, I've got a great idea. But if you don't have a plan to fix your problem, then like, and, what and do you Democrats do? Democrats drive me crazy because you got a guy, you had a, this, this Democrat that said, isn't that sad? We have so many important things to do. You voted to remove McCarthy, pal. You no. voted to, to create the, the chaos, well, and, and now even, you're saying how sad it is. They even had a lane where it's they could have just almost sat it out. Like, they could have split the baby in mm-hmm. many ways if you're yes. a Democrat, and they chose not to do it. <laughs> no. What's also interesting is, again, after this catastrophic moment, the only call we can look to are some people vaguely saying, I wish this wouldn't have happened. And I'm like, that's still not acceptable leadership. And then our alternatives, I think, I mean, from a Democratic point of view, that calculated risk is not paying off. When you look at Jim Jordan, who supported January uh, 6th, who Donald Trump is, I'm coming from a Democratic seat right now, yes. and saying, you think he's a better choice for you than McCarthy. Good luck with that. I have been, yeah. And then you have Scalise, who, as you recall, during his reelection campaign was the man who said, I'm like David Duke, but without the baggage. So from a Democratic perspective, you think you just traded up on your big shenanigans and to and the Republicans who want to get rid of McCarthy. Just tell me how you're getting the math. I just want that's yeah. all everything about the legislative bo- body is math. It's all math. You have to get to a number. You have to get a majority at committee. You got to get a majority on the floor. It's math. If you don't like math, if you don't like adding, then go write books, give speeches, go do something else. But that's all the legislative body is, is math. You've got to add to those numbers. Now, again, it, I'm, for, for McCarthy to go and get those, those Democrats to get that deal done, knowing that he had a one, only one person had to bring forward the motion to, to what do they call it, vacate the speakership. Mm-hmm. By the way, Nancy Pelosi moved that up to 218. <laughs> So she was like, she wasn't going to let the squad yeah. kick her out, right? With the well, Republicans. And that was the so key she note is that McCarthy brokered this yeah. one and done. I mean, what's frustrating and is I think he tried people. it in good faith to say, look, yeah, I'll, I'll think, be that kind of, I'll be that accountable to well, that and level. He'd been but when he got to his 15th round, time. I don't think he had a choice. Yeah. Know? Sure. Um, but eight people did this, Greg. That's what I, I don't accept it's, anymore, though, is the Republican body saying, we were held hostage. Correct. I am like, no, you weren't. There's more of you than the than the Matt Getzes of the world. Yeah, I the, find it unacceptable. It, the, you, if you're on the clock when this happened, you're part of the problem. Yeah. I, you don't get to just act like you were a spectator eating popcorn watching this or, oh, look at us. We were victimized by eight Republicans in our caucus. And the Demo- No, get everyone in the room and hammer this stuff out. That's what you're there for. I, I, if you can't get this done, look, 45 days is going to come and go. It's going to be right around Thanksgiving. We're going to be in the same yeah, exact moment, situation. uh, you know, where, Which you know, sucks over the holidays for all the families it's that just, are like, I'm just, happening? it's yeah. nobody wants to make a hard decision. Everybody acts out of fear. And I, that's why I just actually, I am all for a complete wholesale the whole group. I really am. I, I mean it. I know it sounds extreme, but I don't think there's a, a person to keep. If you, if you can't, 
accept responsibility and know that you have so massively failed the people. This is the lowest bar of why you're there. That's what I'm frustrated (laughs) with. You can't say I'm working hard for you. You haven't even done the basics. No. No one there. And that includes the entire body. What I do find interesting about sort of this, I'm interpreting this to be the spirit of the moment is I think, you know, in the last half an hour, McCarthy, um, Politico reported that McCarthy is saying, he won't be there longer than the re-election. So he's going to apparently resign yeah. within the next couple of weeks. And, I mean, that's that's also extraordinary when you just look at usually the way caucuses run, the way people treat each other, um, what you look for when you give and take. You have the former speaker ousted, and now he's going to even not finish so, his term of so service. I it have, just feels like that big of a lame duck. I will tell you this: I've, yeah, well, I I have when I've spent time and 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 I think caucus dynamics and leadership and members. I think it's similar. I know Utah is smaller than the U.S. House of Representatives, but I have been a, a state law a House member in a divided caucus where there wasn't a, a lot of cohesion. That there were uh, members of the Republican caucus in the House that would team up with Democrats on votes uh, when needed or if they wanted to. And there was a lot of criticism towards leadership. Um, And by the way, that's not a one-way street. That's not just members treating leadership poorly. That's also leadership not including caucus members or making them feel like here's your sheet of music, start singing when they have opinions or concerns that they want heard. So it's a two-way street on how your leadership uh, treats the caucus members and how caucus members treat the leadership. I've seen the unified caucuses. And what happens and what you see in a unified caucus is typically a leadership team that does respect their caucus members and does communicate with them and they communicate back. These are all human interactions. This isn't about the policy itself or the issue at hand. It is about how people are treating each other in there and they have become so insular as a body where they just, all they do is spend their time with their staff. They don't, they're not on that floor voting, debating. They're not spending time in any committee hearings. They don't see each other. And they don't treat each other like colleagues. They don't even know how to get into a room and get something done because they never have to. They have been playing a version of legislative politics that was never intended and doesn't look anything like you see in 50 states, legislative bodies with majorities and minorities that have to work with a governor and executive branch and a Senate and a House and negotiate things and pass things. These, these people are doing none of it. So my big question is, if there's no institutional understanding or knowledge on how to actually act like a house or a legislative body. Go get out. Just leave. Let's just bring, bring some other people in. I just, I am just so done with them all. All of them. Grounded. All of them in no, the corner. I'm not interrupting you because I agree. <laughs> wow. Uh, should we just end the podcast? Uh, yeah. Now? I was, Thanks. I, Thanks. Not, so this is actually the more calm version of me. When that, when I was, that day had happened, I, yeah, it's ridiculous. I truly love the fight. Like, I love caucus fights. I think it makes everyone better for this reason of leadership figures out pretty quick you can't mistreat your colleagues, and colleagues have a lot of strength and who they can vote for. And then I just felt like. It's a refiner's fire. It's good for caucuses if they if they're not feeling unified to fight a little bit. It's all right if it's messy because you can get uh, some things done. I liked it. It took 15 votes for McCarthy. I thought that he could be a better speaker with more demands or more hearing the 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 issues or priorities of members of the caucus. So I would have bet body parts that as much as there was going to be a vote to vacate the speaker at the end of the day. They'd have got in that room, and you would not have seen this happen. Yeah, and I that agree. when I saw the news that he got vacated, and there's no plan, there's no, there's no next step. I just, 
it's just not serious. It's it's an unserious body. I will also say from a communications perspective, indicative of what you're saying, what I saw then was a bunch of press releases back to the districts justifying where they are. It still did not result in people standing on the floor and yelling and disagreeing. So back full circle to Heidi's question is not only do I want my members of Congress to spin their positions back to me, I want them to show up with each other and force the in-person conversation. Because I do agree with Greg about the fundamental body of legislation is actually baked in. If you read the deliberations of our fathers, the founding parents, it was built in that this negotiation had a physicality to it. In fact, you read the first part and there were so many fist fights and crazy things, but it was an engagement of people. And so I I also object to now what I also see as a communication being what is the result of it. And you know why? Because they didn't go right back in that room once that vote happened no. that way and start working again. Yeah. They're going to hold it next Wednesday. Are you it's kidding me? So you can just go weekend, lob insults on each other? I don't want to see any congressional leaders out hiking yeah, in Utah exactly. this weekend. Yeah. We want you like in they your They should office. have been back that very same day working, trying to get something done here to figure out the mess they created. And they don't. Oh, we'll, we'll have this vote next Wednesday as if there's time, as if it's a luxury. It's. I, I just don't see anyone willing to make hard decisions. None. Okay, now we've talked about why Republicans are failing at life right now. No, let's, that's Democrats too. Now we're, and Democrats. Now let's talk about um, Democrats on this side. I don't think it's a secret that there's been a lot of people coming across the U.S.-Mexico border in this last year. Um, President Biden, when he was running for office, was adamantly against the idea of uh, Trump's border wall. We'll call it Trump's wall. Um, he said that there wouldn't be another foot of it. Um, Once he was president, it was one of his first executive orders on the list is to stop building the wall. And now all of a sudden, he's saying there's an acute and immediate need to build the border wall in southern Texas. So this is a pretty sharp pivot because in 2020, his quote was, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration. The more stories that come out, there's some spin with it, Mara, that says, okay, maybe, you know, we're just going to use up the Trump money to do this because the money has to get used did they just realize that maybe it was a better way or what's happening? No, and I don't think it's spin. So I think what the spin is, is the, with the media. I will say, so first lesson is never say no new taxes. And so Biden <laughs> said that, Read and now lips. he has yeah. to go back on it. I mean, Biden has messed up our border discussion completely. So first, let me stipulate, I am not a fan of Biden on handling the issue. But now let's unpack a little bit of what we're talking about and it is 2019 money allocated and it gets allocated to department budgets the the biden administration is telling that they tried to intervene and say we would like to spend it on something else and and the congress who owns that money if you will or, or is the protector of the money said no it has to go to that so i do think the money was earmarked for this and i do think that Uh, Biden isn't choosing to spend the money on the wall. It's that it had to go to this. Now, I say that, and I'm not trying to give points to Biden on immigration, but I do think this money was allocated, and as part of legislative protocol, it's being spent on what it was allocated to, and the Biden administration, I take on good faith that they tried to intervene and couldn't redirect this money. Mayorkas is who said it's urgent and needed, not Biden. So, like, I'm doing the fine details because I think they matter, but I don't want to give the impression that I'm like, because that darn Biden administration's really getting it down on the wall. Hmm. I do believe very strongly, and a member of Congress said that this week's, it's not a new quote, but I think it's an apt quote, 
that border walls are a 14th century solution for a 21st century problem. And I think that the majority of the influx is from Venezuela. The majority of the influx is, is undocumented kids. And I will indict the Republicans of making us so afraid of who these people are that we're not dealing with the administrative part. And the administrative part is the vast, vast majority of people wanting to immigrate. We the just, argument is we just need a we, system. We, well, so here's what I looked organization. at. There are 11 million people this year so far who are undocumented is the statistic, which is an outrageous statistic. Mm-hmm. The other statistic I pulled was there are 200 million people who have Amazon Prime. So I feel like if Amazon Prime can track push out and tell me what I want to buy next, the government of the United States could figure out how to administer 11 million people, which is just the continued theme that Greg started, if they wanted to, if we had our act in the least bit together. Because Biden administration has failed, but I will say whose responsibility is it? Congresses. So I don't want the executive branch. And every immigrant has a cell phone in their hand if they wanted to track or figure something out. And then if you want to indict the Biden administration, what you should indict them on is how many endangered species and how many environmental conditions that the Biden administration just waived to get this this wall done. So they've thrown out their care of climate change as it relates to the wall. So I unpacked a bunch there. Yeah. So I, I want to say this. I I do think a wall matters. I think that walls have been built since the 14th century, and even around worked. people's residences. I mean, people have walls because they want to keep people out. So I, I don't think that that's a, an, an antiquated solution. I also don't think, sat, and this is sad, I don't think that your, your illegal immigration is a collection of the cold, hungry, huddled masses trying to find a better way. They might want that, but it is a, in what I have heard, it is a criminally controlled flow. The cartels own these these flows of, of migration. You have to pay them or you owe them. Sometimes they even bring you on false pretenses. You think you're coming for agriculture and you find yourself selling balloons of heroin. There is nothing wholesome, sweet, or romantic about the story of how people are getting across that border because the cartels control that border in a terrible, terrible way with drug trafficking, human trafficking, and everything in between. So I, I don't think... That, that there's any there's no humanitarian aspect to me for illegal immigration the way it's being controlled by I think terrible players so you think so, immigrants are criminals not them they have to hi- they're hiring these criminals are requiring them to hi- pay them to get them across and they're not letting them go across unless they get paid that's not this what is the what's data happening is saying. so I, I'll it just say this well me- some law enforcement I mean I'm, I'm hearing that but we can I don't we can argue sources but I'll just say this the wall the reason he's putting this wall up is that once once the border states who feel this crush of people coming that don't have anywhere to go and nothing to do and nothing to eat and they just are there and it and it puts strains on your all your systems. I mean, think of what the 40-something that went to Martha's Vineyard and how much that was a big thing and then just multiply that by the millions along our border states. As soon as these these governors of Texas and they start taking buses and sending them to New York or other places, the first reaction is, these governors are insane. What are they doing to people? Why would they do it? But as those numbers continue to grow, you heard a pivot from these mayors. And they're starting to call out President Biden saying, we can't afford it. We don't have the social services to afford what's coming our way. As soon as empathy entered the equation, as soon as what people were experiencing on border states and how they were grappling with these numbers coming in, other areas of our country started grappling with those same circumstances I think that there became more neutral territory about how do we how do we do this responsibly, constructively? How does it work? There aren't those answers. So what I think Biden is doing, 
as I don't think that he is as well received across the party line as he thought he would be for his decisions about immigration. I think it is harming people. And I think for the purposes of the coming election, he wants to appear stronger and do something that is not letting everyone come across uninterrupted uh, because it's having a, a detrimental impact without regard to party. It's And it's hitting now cities and states that um, are also complaining about uh, its detrimental impact. So I think it's a political move by Biden to try and uh, stave off the criticism he's receiving. New York City's mayor is actually, I think, on a Latin America trip and tour right now where I think he's trying to figure it out himself. And if it's done anything, whether you agree or not agree with the fact that people have been shipped around the country sort of as pawns in this game, I think it has created a conversation that will make this an important part of the debate again um, in the upcoming election. But I can't remember an election since I've been voting where it wasn't something that was debated, where yeah. immigration was an issue. And they always, always talk about it. And both Democrats and Republicans, I would say till the last election cycle, both sides have always said, we've got to fix this, we've got to fix this. Last time, I think Democrats were more just open the borders, let's let everyone in and we'll figure it out. But I think that if we want to get back to the whole seriousness and we want to take you seriously, someone has to do something about it instead of just talking about it. It's one of those issues where everyone likes to talk and stump about it, but then when it gets down to the serious, like, nitty-gritty details, which I think if you put people in a room for a week and didn't let them out, that they could figure it but out. That's why it's what Greg said before, which is, it, yes, it's a hard problem. And we do not have a set of lawmakers right now who no. want to deal with hard problems. That's right. There will be winners and losers. There yeah. will be things that change that don't fit on your postcard that you send to the people that vote for you. You will not follow your Democratic or, or Republican tropes. You will have to get in the room. But what happens in the room is that there's 90% agreement. It just doesn't fit with your political speeches later. So the hard work can be done. It's just we have, again, a Congress that just made nonsense of this this um, week and put us in real jeopardy. That's the same reason they can't solve immigration. And, They're and, not and, serious. And it comes down to this human... By the way, this isn't just a, a, an emotion exclusive to politicians, but you see it like a, like a fish tank most clearly with politicians. It, people do not want to be... They don't want people to be mad at them. They don't want to be... They don't want to have... They don't want to feel disapproval. They don't want to be... They don't want to be... They don't want to disappoint. Then when you say someone's elected, they certainly don't want to. They don't want to make voters mad. Keep you happy. But keep here's the bottom line about public policy: if it's impactful, if it's going to interrupt the status quo, if it's going to improve anything, it's going to be hard. And by hard, I mean there's a status quo you have to interrupt. There's people that are that are entrenched in what is going on right now, and when you interrupt that, it is inevitable that people are going to be angry. If there was something hard you could do that could be universally embraced and celebrated, it, that was already done, and I don't know when, but that doesn't exist anymore. So everything that's hard, everything that requires leadership is going to come with its dose of disapproval and criticism. We don't have anyone that wants to be criticized. We want people that want to write bills and make them vague enough that administrative rules can get down to the nitty gritty so they can, if it works, they can celebrate. And if it doesn't, they can complain about the executive branch. We don't have, we have spending bills that no one's ever seen and they just keep adding. They don't, they don't actually drill down to the, where the dollars are going. They you don't let the members Congress, do it. Greg Hughes. Nah. The other thing oh, that's wait, interesting about yeah, this, I did. They didn't want the me. interesting <laughs> thing about this situation too is we're spending more money 
avoiding our problems than if we had spent in investing in them. And I do think that's a part of the inflationary measure of our budget sometimes. Is we're putting in these disjointed feel-good panaceas because of the politics around, as Greg says, disrupting the whole system, maybe taking some components away or apart. And so ironically, we're spending a lot more money repeatedly not dealing with things. But but what what they are doing successfully is an effort of self-perpetuation. If I can keep perpetuating myself in my position, if I can just keep the anger levels low, if I can say the right things, they just think, how do I... How do I make people like me? Don't be mad at me. How not to be mad at me? Don't do anything. And so it is the minimum level of effort to perpetuate themselves. And look, you got to fundraise, right? They don't even let you be a committee chair unless you have fun, unless you're in some boiler room in these Democrat and Republican congressional committee offices across the street, and you got to sit in a cubicle with a headset on and, and just dial for dollars all day trying to raise money. And you don't even get a chairmanship unless you've raised a certain amount. Well, those people that donate, they got opinions. They're business leaders. They've got they've got appropriations they probably yeah. want. So if they're donating, uh, they're listening. And look, I'm not naive to the process. I get that we all, unless you're a zillionaire, you have to raise money. I get all of that. But it is just, it feels like all of those practices have just gotten to such an extreme. The American people and just something as basic as you don't get your, your speaker removed in a majority caucus, you can't even get that worked out and have this just publicly displayed across this country's doing terrible. And the Republicans have such a great case, in my opinion, about Biden, this administration, what's happened with inflation and fuel costs and everything, but they're going to go and let this shiny object of, we can't even get our act together and let everybody focus on that instead of what's happening to people broadly. I'm let's drill down to the state of Utah (laughs) where we have no problems here. That's right. We've got nothing going on. So if you've been paying attention uh, in the last couple of days, uh, Riverton Mayor Trent Staggs put something out, a letter and a press release, saying that he had been informed that Utah, not a city, but Utah as the state, had been declared a sanctuary state after the Salt Lake Icefield Office designated it as such earlier this year. When I read that, I was like, what? How did I not know this? I think the last time that I personally did, and I'm not the only one who reports on these issues, when I was reporting more was when President Trump was taking office and we were talking about specifically Salt Lake City, not the state, and whether it was a sanctuary city because President Trump was looking at possibly withholding funds. The weird part with that was is how do you define what a sanctuary city is? And Mara, we were talking about this earlier that it's hard to define exactly what a sanctuary city is, although I'm not allowed to let Mara go first. I'm looking at her and I keep not letting Greg go first. So Greg, you may have to go first on this. So anyhow, uh, the question is, how did he get this? Because I started emailing yesterday and I couldn't get a hold of it. And I admittedly was starting kind of after hours trying to figure out exactly where this designation came from. Yeah. That uh, letter's been leaked now. Um, I've seen it. We, I think it's kind of floating around. The letter was more of an internal letter. I understand it wasn't something that went out as a press release. That's why I couldn't find it online. But it may have been... There may have been some politicking involved with this. Yes. So in full disclosure, I'm aware of the situation uh, and know its details because I represent the Utah Sheriff's Association. So we have 29 counties. 29 counties duly elect their sheriffs. It's a beautiful system of being elected by the people. And 
nothing against chiefs, but uh, they're hired by mayors of cities and city councils, and sometimes the politics bleed in. It's beautiful to have a, a chief law enforcement officer that the people have sent. It gives a, a degree of, I believe, independence in that, in, that, in that way. So one of the things that our sheriffs do is they have jails, county jails. And these county jails don't just uh, house uh, the arrests or the uh, incarceration of people that commit crimes in their counties. Oftentimes, these jails will be used for contracting, like with state inmates. Uh, state inmates, they'll do rehabilitation. They'll do they uh, training. They sublease their beds. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a jail bed contracting arrangement. Well, even our U.S. Marshals, when they're out looking for these dangerous fugitives and they arrest them and they need a place to detain them, they will come up with and work with sheriffs to come up with these contracts to be able to hold these federal uh, prisoners until they can move along and, and get the process moving. Uh, ICE, our uh, immigration control or enforcement, uh, whatever the acronym stands for, uh, they put out a memo in May, end of May, so May 31st of 2023, saying that the sheriffs, uh, the, the, the sheriffs that were contracting with ICE to house the detain- detainees, the foreign nationals that they arrest for being here illegally, uh, one by one, you saw counties that county jails and county sheriffs that had been contracting with ICE decide to opt out of those contracts, and because that had happened, ICE had this this field officer from this from Salt Lake City had concluded in his mind that that was akin to Utah for that reason alone, because he doesn't have these agreements, is now a sanctuary state uh, on level with New York, uh, the state of New York, the state of California, Illinois, you name it. It's an overstatement. The rest of the story, and I would just advise anyone listening to this, before you listen to the Biden ICE official and what they'd like to tell you is wrong with your Utah sheriffs and why all of illegal so immigration you is this is not a political fault. stance from the sheriffs of Utah saying, let, let them go. Heavens no. No, they're grappling with these crimes. I mean, they are arresting people that aren't residents of this state, but they, when, they, when they arrest someone for a crime without regard to whether they live here or here legally or not, and they discover that they're not legal residents, ICE doesn't come and get them. They don't do anything. So they're still doing their job as per. But these ICE contracts, different than even the federal marshals, they have 700 pages of extra regulations. And some of these regulations are uh, they have to have a different barbershop. They have to have egress and ingress, ways in and out where they don't have to ever see another uh, inmate. Uh, they get there's a certain brand of shampoo and soap. The one that's the worst for sheriffs to deal with is that there are in those contracts advocacy groups that are supposed to have full access to these prisons at any time to audit and inspect. And that opens up these counties uh, to potential lawsuits. Uh, these aren't theories. This has happened in Utah County where – uh, they have a letter, and the sheriff, uh, who's also the president of the Sheriff's Association, has this letter from one of these groups that are based out of Washington, D.C., that says, if you take another ICE detainee, uh, we're going to sue Utah County for doing it. So you have these lawsuits that will be over your head. Um, you add the onerous regulations for these ICE detainees that aren't the case for other federal inmates that they would contract with, and then you add the, just the practical challenge that we have in Utah that jail bed space is hard to find right now. Um, there's a good contract with the state and counties in their jails. We're looking at sheriffs working with marshals or with the state office of corrections. They're looking at beds in numbers of five or 10 or maybe even 20 that they can find at any given time around the state. This ICE memo that was written says they have 2,820 uh, dangerous people. They are letting back into the community to live amongst Utahns because 
these sheriffs will not contract for the, that number of people in their in their jails. Well, there's no it's an th- that is an inaccurate statement on a bunch of levels. And I don't believe that's an internal memo. So you don't think there's all those bad guys cuz a minute ago we were talking about all the bad guys coming across the border. Yes. You don't think they're Well, no, th- what what a ends up happening? in the mix of lots well, of Well, th- th- those aren't all at the same time. Over the course of a 12 month, you're going to have numbers of beds that you're going to need and it's probably for them in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 90s or something like that. But the way it's worded it would leave a Utah, and by the way, this is a public, this this internal memo has been given to enough, to as many leaders. ICE I never sat down with a sheriff and talked about how to organize these contracts, but they went to county commissioners to complain. They went to state lawmakers to, to share this narrative. They went to the federal Washington delegation to share this narrative. The way that memo is written, you would read it and say, that must be 28. It's not. It's, it's as described it's it's a number of beds over the course of a year uh but the way it reads you have 2800 people that are dangerous that are living amongst utahns and so the the conclusion is that this ice salt lake city field office uh the person mr bernacki he on his own declares unilaterally that utah is now a sanctuary state now the way i've seen sanctuary cities or states are that their legislative bodies be it a city council a mayor a legislative body they themselves were embracing this concept of being a sanctuary state you have this so-called internal memo but it reads like a public pressure that they'd like to apply to the sheriffs uh that utah is now a sanctuary state um this is going to be uh, vigorously uh retorted and 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 responded to by our sheriffs because they have been doing their level best to handle public safety and all of the ripple effect that comes from a broken border and they do it every single day they are not unwilling to work with ice they are not unwilling to work with immigration what but what's but there is a trust level when the memo that comes out says they're they're just like these sanctuary states they are a sanctuary state like new york and everyone else because they won't sign up their contracts with us know this and i'll stop Maybe it's too much information. Mara's like, what? You're not done yet? Oh, are we still they here? They are unwilling <laughs> to change any of that. those regulations. They are not willing to mirror the, the regulations for like a federal marsh, U.S. Marshal Service federal inmate. They won't, they won't change those things. So those regulations are so prohibitive. Plus, you don't have the bed capacity to even match the demand that they want. So I'm kind of interested in that list. It sort of seems like one of those riders you always hear about, elusive riders that the stars have where they yeah. only want red M&Ms and yeah. um, pink sheets and white flowers or whatever when they it's, come in. It's, it's something. So a couple of the components of the story that I think are interesting is, one, you introduced who brought this to the public domain was Trent Skaggs. So um, why was he chosen? A mayor. But what I think is the more interesting title about Trent Skaggs is candidate for U.S. Senate. Yes. So I think this had nothing. I mean, I think it's a red herring if you think that they brought and what sense does it make that ice would first and formally most want to speak to a mayor i mean it it doesn't make sense so i think what's intriguing about it is you have a u.s senate candidate who has an internal memo from ice he's the one that sort of is trying to make political hay out of it and that's how it gets and that's how it gets brought into the public domain so i think that's an interesting part of the story the other one is first blush though is it fair for him to be like oh my gosh Hey, yeah. no, it's a 100% it's, political yes, opportunity no, for him. But I'll tell you this. It is more than fair. But let me tell you, I knew about this memo before Trent Staggs, uh, Mayor Staggs from Riverton made it public yesterday, okay? The, you know why I knew it? Because when policymakers and leaders read what I said, it's pretty alarming, 
the language they use. It does not put the sheriffs or their unwillingness to enter into these contracts in a very positive light. So what did they do? They inquired. Yeah. They asked the sheriffs, why are you, why isn't this working? Why is there any kind? Why why aren't you right. working the with sheriffs ice? Say they have no idea. Then so you if find you're out Trent Stags yeah. and you get this information and you want to be a U.S. senator, let's just say you're just staying as the right. mayor of Riverton. How about you call a sheriff yeah. and ask him before so you just, put out a press release? Just to the point, I think it's interesting that I think it was a political move, um, and beca- and you see that with no attempt to sort of speak to the sheriffs as a first run. But I also think it's an interesting again. We're going to live by the door, sword and die by, die by the sword when we keep doing these labels of people. So the context for Sanctuary City is that it isn't a thing. It's a designation. It's a political term of art. Now, Greg pointed and we out, think and I think it as it white and left these days. 100%. Well, it started out that way. I think the original the original wave of decla- declaring Sanctuary City, and what's interesting is, I think that was more around arresting people by how they look, and, and the federal government saying to local law enforcement, hey, we want you to stop and detain people. And local law enforcement, um, for two reasons, one of which mirrors kind of the sheriff, one is which is like, this is your job, not mine. So one of it was just a ban with issue but the other one I absolutely think was a political or philosophical point of view that said I don't believe in deciding if I should stop this person because of the way he looks so you see these sanctuary cities in the first round largely liberal cities Mm -hmm. largely resting on liberal um, context and saying we don't believe in looking at people and arresting them what's fascinating about this is this declaration of a sanctuary city is not actually a group of law enforcement that are uh, that are proffering any philosophical. They're saying no, it's too arduous. It's your problem, and the federal government has yet again an unfunded directive that they're not helping to issue. So I see it as an administrative pushback, where they're just saying we don't have capacity or means, and you're not working with us mm-hmm. at all. It's so interesting though that they're declaring it. So in Utah's instance. New York's inter- instance, I think you could still contextualize it as left versus right. Yes. Utah is so interesting because it's essentially right versus right in calling Utah a, a sanctuary state. It's, it's, it's hyperbole. It's, it's, it's not accurate. And it's done to try and create political pressure to get the these local well, sheriffs Craig, to do what ICE wants. And they just, they can't. You're responding to it negatively because you think of sanctuary city. As not, a negative. Not as a thing that the federal government has mandated and, and the sanctuary part is the local jurisdiction saying no you think of it as a liberal position which yeah. good reason to i'm not disagreeing well, it, with that. it goes back to your saying about how they were created it's this it's this un- disinterest or unwillingness to cooperate because you don't think it's fair to go after them which is not the position of sheriffs or the state of utah we don't have this this opposition but to also i just want to point out how illegal. different the we, ask we is. don't support illegal immigration the, the ask has changed the ask used to be for law enforcement to stop and detain someone. This ask is actually quite different. They're they're essentially being asked to sublease on terms that are unagreeable. Correct. So it's not even a judgment they're over the call. Top. They're just saying, hey, listen, this And they're unwilling to even work on those those terms. And they're and they're and well, then they're, they're, they're and then they're it. just lobbying these these uh, terms and, and saying so that we're a bad state or that we don't care about it because what but they're not willing to, to address the core problems. What there. becomes interesting is we're talking about a regional staffer for ICE I know. who authored this. Mm-hmm. So I think we're in chapter one of like really now ICE federal or, or, you know, more than just the regional guy 
we have not yet heard from the mothership about how they're going to navigate this. I which think is really that the, I think that the, the, there was a, there is an argument being made that this was an internal memo. If you were to see the tone and see the the, the language that's used, there's no technical terms in this internal they memo. They wanted it to go out. This somewhere. is this is meant to share with political figures that they had hoped could apply pressure uh, to the sheriffs to, to enter into these contracting agreements, which again. If the sheriffs had something that didn't put them at legal jeopardy or liability, if they, it, I have a sheriff who said, after their experience with ICE detainees and how much their special treatment is and how how just o- all those regulations, that they'd sooner quit and go work for a jail that didn't have them because it's so it's it's so it's so outside of what they do as a correction officer. So so what they're already understaffed. They, they talked about so like as a landlord of ICE detainees, mm-hmm. like what made their life more difficult aside from the fancy shampoo. So uh, you can't, they have to have in, they have to be able to walk in and out anywhere without having to see the other population of the inmates. Well, they don't have That's different weird. and separate uh, entrances or exits. Uh, you can have a visitor or a call at any time, unlimited and at any time. Uh, that isn't the rules that are basically set forth in how they administer these, these prisons. And I guess the, and, and there are other unique ones and, and, and different ones like the barbershop can't be the same one as the other inmates that you cut their hair in and things like that. But the one that is, the most financially uh, just problematic to the point they can't do it is the uh, unfettered access for audits and inspections of people that start with the premise that you shouldn't be detaining them and we suspect that you're doing it wrong and we're here to investigate it and they would have to open their doors for those inspections at any time and it does result in lawsuits and it does result in litigation and and that has happened and those are those are liabilities that it's just they can't do it. And then if you add on top of that, Heidi, they don't have the beds they're asking for anyway. They're juggling the the jail beds, working with the Department of Corrections and even our U.S. Marshals, but even their county uh, people, that, inmates. There's not the number of beds that they're demanding to begin with. So uh, there's the, the, So I just think that if any Utah saw the, the conditions or the, or the demands and their unwillingness to change any of them um, – you wouldn't you 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 can't the sheriffs aren't going to do this and the counties wouldn't be wise to to enter into those agreements and then their answer back is well our hands are tied that's a decision in washington we're not changing any of it well okay but then it seems it's not the sheriff's fault the laws of the land that you were in not so that still laws. happens yeah. if you anybody commits a crime and these the county sheriffs want you to know you commit a crime in their state you're going to jail it, you don't get a free pass because whether you're a resident or not it's just at the point that you, if they were to arrest someone for committing a crime and they're they're incarcerated, if they were to, to find out that that person wasn't a legal resident, they've even called ICE and they don't deport them. So they go through the criminal justice process and go through that whole thing. So there isn't any idea, there isn't a concept where if you, if somebody commits a crime, if they're not a legal resident, they get to just walk scot-free. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ICE and when they detain someone on their own and they make the arrest, they want to be able to come in and you and and contract a jail bed to hold. But them. again, I think that's an important distinction. We're actually just talking about an administrative procedure. And by the way, we're three not actually talking worth. about law enforcement. Three states worth. I mean, in 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 fairness, again, even the issue of sanctuary, the context of that is usually around the intervention and the arrest. This is very different. This is about an administrative agreement. Um, not involving the crime, but in fact involving the jail. Yeah. 
Yep. It's and, and so I just it's got Which is national why the coverage. Police departments aren't it's, involved because police departments don't jail people. And so if you were wondering if the questions coming up of why if this is focused on sheriffs and why the sheriffs were indicted, it's not a matter of their law enforcement practice. It's that they're the jailer of record. Yeah, and and when Trent Skaggs, the mayor of Riverton, candidate for U.S. Senate, released this press con- this press release yesterday afternoon, it has since been picked up by conservative news national news uh, sources that are now pushing it out that Utah is a sanctuary state. And they don't mean it in a, I mean, they don't mean it, they mean it as a pejorative. They mean it as Utah is a liberal, you know, anti, I mean, pro-illegal immigration state. And they lay it all at the feet of these county sheriffs as if all these problems, and even in the memo, it says that there's just, they're coming from New York, they're coming from everywhere. The whole country's coming here because the sheriffs aren't accommodating these onerous contracts that they don't have the beds for and you you can't actually fulfill that's that's what that's the problem for the whole thing and that's why people come to this podcast so they can understand this yeah, isn't it's probably always too much black info. and white it's not know. always right and left sometimes you got to dig beyond i'll tell you what the, the, the feds the federal government and Biden administration they have broken this immigration system and the the, the county sheriffs cannot fix the, it for the biden administration broke Absolutely. the immigration it's system. been so it much was, worse since it was got on the humming, clock it was humming along it's, before it's always had challenges but you gotta say sure. it, i stepped up I a little bit after to. biden i, I don't have to stipulate for how long you don't think stuck. more undocumented no. have crossed since he took office i do not think that's the problem true. i i think that the biden administration has not made the problem worse in fact i think he oh, addressed Mara. many parts of the situation that weren't being addressed you could say it's worse to some but it's more humanitarian to others you could say that but you cannot say that the numbers have not gone up in, right but that's un, a fundamental difference between you and i is that a you year think ago, they're they all said it was a it was a, don't. it was a high a 97 year high like a year ago or two years ago and it's higher than it was last year greg the republicans but, refusal to accept the business environment is astonishing to me but your the refusal fact to that know the, the criminal element of who's are, getting are these people sitting across in juxtaposition and directing contrast to enter this is a crim- this into i listened to you criminal today my I know, friend i, I have been sorry, very sorry. quiet today but i i am just telling you that the republicans are the ones who refuse to look at our workforce refuse to look at the value of immigration and i think it's weird and county county culture i mean like the the chamber of commerce is giving us more direction on who these workers are and what value they add the republicans have just wholesale indicted it to be some spooky cartel that's a portion greg but that is not the largest portion nor has it ever been and you didn't have no, a problem with immigration when it came from asian or white-based countries we don't have an immigration problem with anybody who looks and sounds like that's we not true. want them to well, are laws in there, america there are, you might as well say the problem is a brown problem there, no, no, no. and the Racism have been, involved Mara, in it is tremendous. I have so people been who to come those, across in the ocean have like actual processes that they have to go through. We also here, don't yeah. mind them. We facilitate that. Look, we facilitate. So you understand, you understand that people the follow South. the immigration laws to legally enter this country and become citizens. I have I have spoken at these naturalization who ceremonies. Want to do the process they're the most America beautiful, do it. celebrated ceremonies I've ever attended or spoken to, and they're happy, and everybody's happy. You will not find anyone that I know that says, if you're white, I'm, I'm fine with illegal immigration. We want the laws followed. And we want those moments where they become citizens. And we celebrate. They were holding American flags and we're all celebrating together. Those are beautiful moments. 
that's what if it's if it's good for them, that's the laws that ought to be followed for everyone. We facilitate based on country. Greg, this oh is my gosh, you've not been to one of these. Every country no, in this world represented in those naturalization fin- ceremonies. I'm not everyone talking about who makes around the world. I'm talking about our bias. I, I will say, here's where it shows up. There, I think we're moving to a Reuters uh, Ipsos poll that showed that 74 percent of Americans agreed with the statement something like we're not as well off. Yes. Um, so there's, I've got a poll. I don't have the link to the poll, but there was a poll that says that immigration likely is really going to be a campaign theme in the U.S. presidential race. And when you look at a majority of Americans, 54% say that they agree that immigration is making life harder for native-born Americans. But when you split it out between Republicans and Democrats, there definitely is a so much larger So that's what the interesting conversation is. The interesting conversation that. about who agrees with that, 73% of Republicans agree with that yeah. statement. 37% of Democrats, Democrats agree yeah. with that statement. And that's the crux right now of the party's positions in which if you sit by Greg and I, no matter what day of the week it is, how I describe who is immigrating and why they're immigrating is markedly different than how Greg describes who's immigrating and why they're wanting or cross our border, whatever you want to say, entering the United States. And it's no more stark than looking at the numbers of who thinks that natural born Americans aren't better off by having an influx of immigrants. And it's directly related to Congress figuring it out. Right. I think that's the answer. And we're stuck on the characterization of the who, and I still say we're continuing to fail at an administrative level. You know what? We have been so chatty today, guys. Yes. Um, we're so out of time. Do you have any deep thoughts you want to give me on the Salt Lake City mayoral race, or should we save that for another week? Oh, it's we'll not save going it. anywhere. It's not going anywhere. I There's know. more of it. It's tough. I listened. And the one question I have, do you appreciate that they're giving um, equal airtime to Mr. Valentine, or I do you do. really want to just hear the two of them? No. I, mean, I, I started out just wanting to hear the two after hearing the two. I'm fine with his hat. I'm fine that he's the there. braids. I'm kind of fine with the braids. I I have started to appreciate that he's he's not viable, and there's a question about that, but he makes ranked choice voting. In the last polling, I saw he was between 5 and 7%, but that makes the number two slot pretty interesting in ranked choice, which yeah. should be a snooze fest between three people. But when the third person is not at one and 2%, he's at four and five. I don't know if he'll end up that way. Yeah. But let's say he's higher than 4%. Greg, that could actually matter yeah. in a ranked choice situation. But I tell you what, I, I don't, I think that Salt Lakers, I as a Salt Laker feel like, you know, I'm choosing Okay. The way I'm choosing my president. Well, hopefully um, Congress behaves next week and we'll have some time to talk about our local issues because since we solved immigration, we'll try to solve homelessness sure. next week yeah. on this podcast. And Ogden has a mayoral debate this week Ooh, if, you're, yeah. if you're from Ogden and want to listen to your hot mayoral debate, tune in this coming week. Yeah, municipal elections matter. Yes. I'm glad we had this chat. This is yes. fun. I like getting together good. on Fridays with my good. friends. And thank Happy you for Friday. listening and joining us for this friend hangout. Have a great week. Tell your friends about us and hit like if you're hanging out with us. Thank you.